0: All right. Well, this morning we are continuing in our teaching teaching series where we have been exploring the different practices of Jesus that might help us unhurry our lives. We're all in a hurry. Our world is in a hurry. And as I talked about week one when we discussed the problem, is that there's a hurry sickness that kind of plagues our society. And what did I mean by that? This hurry sickness where we're always on the go, uh, always feeling this need to see more, to do more, to achieve more, to be more. Go, go, go. And it's left us feeling exhausted, worn down, anxious, agitated, irritable, not present for the moments that really matter in our lives. And so how do we become the me I want to be, that's what I asked, <clears throat> excuse me, the first week, how do I become the me I want to be? Well, it was Dallas Willard who said, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. That's it. It's the greatest spiritual goal that we can have is a sense of Unhurriedness. And so that's what we've been looking at, different spiritual disciplines of Jesus, these practices, these habits, his way of being. And we saw that this was his yoke that he talked about, this way of life, his set of teachings that he invites us to follow. And what makes his yoke different from any other sets of teachings we can find or any other rabbis of his day is that he says his yoke is easy and his burden light. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and you will find rest. So we've been trying to take a look at, okay, what is this way of life? What are these different practices? How did Jesus live his life and structure his time in such a way that he could remain so unhurried, so at peace, so present to the moment and the person in front of him and the need that he saw? And so, so far in our time together, we've looked at the practices of silence and solitude on week two, And also the practice of Sabbath last week and week number three. And I've been giving you all homework. Yes, there are study guides and our small groups, our renovation house groups have been going through them. There's also um, resources posted each week as an addition to that, that if you're not in a house group or if you're looking at trying to practice these or start on your own, if you're looking at trying to practice or start these on your own, there are resources there that you can find and kind of some different, um, different techniques. So how's it going so far? I got one thumb up in the back. I got another thumb up, all right. Raise your hand if you took a nap last week. Yes, look around, look around. Don't be ashamed, don't be ashamed. Nap as resistance, okay? Napping is resistant to the culture of now and achieve and go. I'm so proud of you. Yeah, you did. You took a nap. Yeah. I was going to say gold star, but that would be opposite of what we're trying to do. (laughs) So, (laughs) yes, napping as a resistance to that culture of now and go. Um, That was some of the homework that I gave you last week. But I have loved hearing from you all. So many of you have reached out and you've shared with me, hey, after the morning rush and the hurry of getting the kids out the door and I finally get to my office, the first thing I do before opening my computer is I shut the door and I turn on 10 minutes of like a, of a Lectio Divina app and I sit in silence and meditation over scripture. 10 minutes before I start my work day. The first thing they do when they get into their office. Or another of you uh, sharing with me your different uh, Sabbath practices that you're experimenting with. Even for just part of the day, things that are bringing you soul rest I love it. I love that I've been hearing from you on some of that. And just encourage you, keep going. Keep practicing. We're not going for perfect here. We're not going for, you know, I've achieved it all. 24 hours of solid rest. I got this Sabbath thing down. It's a practice, and it takes time. And that's what we're trying to do. Build a life. Build a life that leads to this kind of rest and peace in the presence of God. Okay, so today, as you could see, Uh, maybe in our promo video, the practice that we're going to talk about is the practice of slowing. You're like, what in the world is this? Isn't this really what we've been talking about all along? Yeah, kind of. This kind of combines lots of different things. It could be the last week as kind of a summary of it all. I joked that I was just going to start and like have the whole rest of the teaching be like the sloth from Zootopia, (laughs) like slowly do everything and say everything. That would drive me nuts because I'm not very good at this one going slowly. So we're going to take a look at it together. Jesus never seemed to be in a hurry, did he? Never seemed to be in a hurry. Even as others demanded his attention and his time, he was surrounded by crowds, his disciples seeking him out, going, dude, where are you? People need you. He never seemed to be in a hurry. And as we saw just a few weeks ago, even for that silence and meditation, the busier Jesus got, the more he went away in silence and solitude and time to pray. He never seemed to be in a hurry. Sort of maddening. I think if Jesus were to live my life today or maybe your life today, imagine a day in the life if he were to walk in your shoes, what do you think Jesus would say to you? About how you spend your time or about the pace that you go? I know he would tell me, slow down. You're missing some good stuff here. Slow down. If Jesus did li- live today, you know, in the flesh, walking around, I think he'd probably be accused of moving too slowly, accused of not working enough, even being lazy. Maybe uh, said that he's not prioritizing the right things, like making money and having a respectable, stable job. He's not hanging out with the right people. He'd probably be accused of a lot of these things that we value the opposite that we value in this culture. But instead, Jesus in his way of life and his practice, he shows us the discipline of slowing. And what I mean by this is a slow, deliberate pace in which he lived his life that created room where space for God and space for the love of people were his top priorities. If you think about it, most of the stories that we can read in the gospel of when he encounters people or when he teaches, a lot of them, he's on the way, on the road, he's interrupted. And Jesus lived his life in such a way that he had space to be interrupted. That's convicting to me right now. I don't have much space in my life to be interrupted. This practice of slowing, a deliberate pace, that he left space for God and for the love of people to be his top priorities so that he could be present in that moment to the need of the person in front of him, present to the power of God, present to these opportunities that he had to proclaim that the kingdom of God was at hand. How often do I miss opportunities because I'm in such a hurry? So how do we slow down deliberately? Well, it's John Ortberg who says this. How to slow down? It's by cultivating a practice of patience cultivating patience by deliberately choosing to place ourselves in positions where we simply have to wait. (laughs) I can already see some of you, what? I don't want to do that. We're not good at waiting. Why in the world would I specifically deliberately put myself in a position where I do have to wait? That's insanity. I'm just saying back everything that's in your head because it's not in my head at all. The discipline of slowing as a lifestyle means that we must develop a habit of patience, of practicing patience, because our world is very impatient. We are very impatient. Deliberately choosing to place ourselves in positions where we have to wait. Okay, we'll get more into that in a second, but the scripture passage that I want to take a look at comes from the book of James, and this is chapter 5, verses 7 through 11, and it says this. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Be patient, therefore, brothers, for the coming of the Lord. Now I just want to give us a little context here about the book of James. Um, It's a short book. It's only a few chapters. If you haven't read it in a while, it's really great. I think six chapters, five or six, you'd have time maybe this week in some of your alone time, set aside time, quiet time, silent time, maybe to take a look at the book of James. And like many of the letters from Paul that we see in the New Testament where he's concerned about the division within the church, here in the book of James, there's also concern about the divisions in the church. But unlike Paul, where he is really concerned about the ethnic divisions that he's seen between Jews and Gentiles, and the implications of the food laws, and the purity laws, and what their community together is going to look like. Like, can we even have dinner together? That's a lot of what Paul addresses in his sort of divisions in lots of his letters. But here, in the book of James, the division is different. The concern here is is about divisions between rich Christians and poor Christians. And not just generically, not just speaking culturally, he's talking specifically to this one church, and we think, we believe it's probably the church in Jerusalem. Like this, the audience of who this would be writing to, it is a community, a context there, of believers. And he's addressing to them the divisions he sees between the rich and the poor. Now, some believe that this has been written by James, the brother of Jesus. And if that's the case, we know that James was a leader of the church in Jerusalem. And in Galatians 2, when Paul talks about the Jerusalem council and when they decided to kind of split ways and Paul's going to go and he's going to preach the gospel to the Gentiles and they kind of give him his blessing. And the the leaders in Jerusalem, as he departs from them, I said this before because it's one of my favorite parts in the gospel story, well, preaching the gospel... When they depart, it's the Jerusalem leaders that say to Paul and Barnabas, they extend the right hand of fellowship, go in peace, my brothers, to preach the good news to the Gentiles. Only remember this one thing. Remember the poor. Remember the poor. And so for the church in Jerusalem, this seems where we assume that James is a leader, this seems to be a concern of his. Caring for the poor. And throughout the whole book, James warns about favoritism towards rich church members, and he calls it out. You're not supposed to treat them as more important than other people. That's in chapter 2. He warns against slander and greed and violence and fraud all throughout this little book of James. Concerned about these divisions he's seen within the body of Christ between the rich and the poor. And the passage right before we get here to chapter 5, verse 7. The passage right before this one is actually subtitled in my English Standard Version, A Warning to the Rich. And it's good, (laughs) y'all. A Warning to the Rich. Again, speaking specifically to his church context. He says things like, You have laid up treasure for yourself in the last days. He says, Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. He says, You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence, and you have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. Woof. (laughs) In a time... When people were in need, they weren't being paid equitably or justly for the work they were doing. They were crying out for help in a time of suffering and of slaughter, he says. And these rich folks have laid up their treasures. They fattened their own hearts. Friends, those are the lines right before. That's the beginning of chapter 5, right before we get here. And it's an interesting context then to take a look again to this line where he says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, in the coming of the Lord. He's saying, for the kingdom of God is at hand. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth. Be patient about it. He's saying, you've got your priorities all wrong here. You need to be focused on the coming of the Lord, the the great harvester who's going to return, who is coming. He's not just addressing them how to be patient individually. He's addressing them as a community, saying how to be patient and long-suffering together. Be patient and long-suffering together, looking toward the coming of the Lord, looking toward the establishment of that kingdom here those kingdom values, not the values of the world and the riches, right, and the the things that we can accumulate, the things that he's calling all these people out for, exploiting people so that you can go home with more. That's not what the kingdom values. That's not what the kingdom of God values. He's saying, be patient. Keep your eyes on that coming kingdom. Remember the values of Jesus set your eyes there on the author and perfecter of your faith. And then with your with your values set there don't exploit other people or don't exploit your time even but love each other. He goes on in this passage to say do not grumble against each other. Do not judge each other. That's the Lord's job. Be like Job even in the prophets who are steadfast. Patient, meaning kind of long-suffering, holding together, long-suffering together. Your burdens becoming my burdens, your joys becoming my joys. Suffer together, be patient together, wait together. How do we do this? Well, he continues in verse 13 as it follows from this passage. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Be patient with one another. Hold fast to that coming kingdom together. Set your eyes on those kingdom values. And if someone among you is suffering, pray for them. Pray together. Pray for each other, sharing your burdens and your joys and your highs and your lows. In our culture, where we are all in such a hurry, to do more and achieve more and be more, to be celebrated for all that we can accomplish and do. I think James speaks to us even today to say, slow down. In all of your rush and hurry and achievement, make sure that you're not exploiting other people for your own financial material gain. Make sure that you're spending your time doing what really matters, like praying together. I love that sense of patience as this sense of, in the Hebrew, meaning long-suffering, because it means this kind of like, you know, just, just kind of waiting together, being together in one community. Individually, as, as a people, maybe we're not very good at practicing patience. But as a community, it's something that we need to practice if we want to be able to be there for one another, to leave space in our lives for God to interrupt us, that we can see and acknowledge the need of a neighbor in front of us. We have to be able to practice patience in a very sort of real sense if we want to be able as a community to be present with one another in our suffering and in our waiting and in our focus on the kingdom values. We want to slow ourselves down so that we can notice the needs of our neighbors. Slow ourselves down so that we can notice the needs of each other here in this community. Slow ourselves down so that we can notice when the presence of God is in our midst and soak in his good gifts. I don't want to miss that. I don't want to be so busy that I can't be interrupted. John Mark Comer says this, Jesus put on display an unhurried life, where space for God and love for people were the top priorities. And because he said yes to the Father and his kingdom, he constantly said no to countless other invitations." I want to say yes to the Father and his kingdom. Not the little kingdoms of this world and the powers and principalities and the culture of now and the and you know and the riches that we can acquire and the acclaim and the glory. I'm going to say yes to the Father in his kingdom, who invites us into a different way of being that is more liberating and more freeing than we could ever try to grasp for and earn on our own. So in the discipline of the practice of slowing, as I've done each week, we've kind of set it up of what it is and looked at scripture, and then we try to do the second half sort of applicable, here's how we can begin practicing, honestly, just a patience of slowing our habit of of practicing patience, of, of slowing our bodies down so that maybe we can slow our souls down. And as he said, this is deliberately choosing to put ourselves in positions where we have to wait. And if you think you're not good at it, maybe start trying a few of these things and then we'll realize how much we do need to practice this habit of patience. Slowing our bodies down so that we can slow down our souls and maybe pay attention, maybe have space and room in our lives to pay attention to where God shows up and where God is working. And so in his book, he shares like, John Mark Comer shares like 25-something different practices for slowing. I'm not going to do all of those today. I'm going to run through quite a few of them. But they're kind of, they're kind of interesting. Kind of these little things during our day where we can practice a discipline of patience that we might better show up for one another as a community in our patience and long-suffering together. And this is going to seem silly, but let's just see what we think and if we need to practice any of these. For him, he says, these are not legalistic sort of things. You must do them all. They are guardrails for him, guardrails that help in the trajectory of his life to kind of keep it on the path, on his way of life, to kind of keep us on this right pace for slowing and slowing our lives down. The first one, he says, is drive the speed limit. <laughs> nope. Right, they to like, nope, can't do that one. Next. You're like, but Rachel, you mean the speed limit, which is seven over what is posted on the sign. That's the speed limit. <laughs> OK, uh, so if you're going to drive the speed limit, number two, you should probably get over in the slow lane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. These are from John Mark Comer. Rachel did not come up with these. <laughs> OK. Uh, in that spirit, come to a full stop at stop signs. <laughs> you see, y'all, I mean, little things, y'all, little things, and you already realize, ooh, maybe I'm not in more of a hurry than I thought I was, or as Matt likes to say, I'm waiting for the day one of our kids says this, as someone rushes by us, Matt just says, they, they should have left the house earlier, like, I'm waiting for the day, instead, what my son said a few weeks ago, he came home after uh, a not-so-great drive home, and Logan, my five-year-old, says, It was like people were driving around like they'd never been here before. (laughs) After he got out of my car. So, I'm practicing this with you guys, okay? Driving the speed limit, getting in the slow lane, come to a full stop at stop signs, don't text and drive. That's probably a good rule of thumb. It saves lives. I don't text and drive, but I might text at a red light, or I might check an email at a red light, or I might, so don't do that either. Just be in that moment and pay attention to the cars around you. Maybe talk to your children who are in the car. (laughs) Maybe do that. Show up 10 minutes early for an appointment without your phone. Oh, come on. You could do so much work. I didn't come up with these. His name is John Mark Comer. You can go for him. (laughs) Okay? (laughs) Show up 10 minutes early. Jimmy is going to tell me that's on time right that's on time i show up a minute after the appointment starts you still have to wait 20 minutes sorry doc (laughs) okay get in the longest line at the grocery store (laughs) they're already so long okay so let me go back i don't know if i remember how to go back nope sure don't okay go back for me brenda yeah go back for me one maybe one more okay these i think for me these show pockets where I can do some deep breathing and even some prayer, especially if I'm in the car by myself. If I'm going to be driving slow, in the slow lane, stopping full stop at stop signs, not picking up my phone, in those moments, instead of trying to do more and catch up on more and scroll through social media, it didn't change in my 20-minute drive home. Nothing huge happened. I can just take a deep breath. I can just look at the beautiful sky around me if I'm at a stoplight. I can speak to the people who are in the car with me, (laughs) but be present in that moment, be present in that moment, and maybe if you've got a long commute, instead of putting on a podcast, instead of putting on the next Taylor Swift album that's about to drop in a few weeks, October 13th, you could, (laughs) you could, I didn't hear what he said, (laughs) oh yeah, or Daryl's album, yeah, Daryl's new album, which I have done, I haven't done that yet, you could pray. Take some deep breaths and be in the presence of God on that longer commute. Okay, get in that longest line in the grocery store. These are all suggestions that you don't have to do them all. Your smartphone. These next two really go together, which is parent your phone. There's a lot of things that we can do to remember that they are tools for us and we aren't like, they don't own us. Right? Our smartphones are not in charge of our lives. We are actually in charge of them. They are the tools that we pay for, <laughs> not the other way around. So things like, disable, he suggests some of these things. Disabling the email function on your phone. Deleting all social media apps on your phone. I've actually done that and it's been life changing for me. So then it's like a set amount of time on my desktop that I might check social media and not just constantly in every kind of extra second that you have throughout the day. Um, maybe adjust some of your notifications so that you don't get text alerts or notifications every time something goes off on every single app that we have. Um, delete news apps. I've done that too, and that's been very helpful. Um, he says delete every single app that you don't need that doesn't save you time. And then consolidate. Just simplify your life. Do we really need all of the apps that we have? Set your phone to grayscale mode. I didn't even know that was a thing. Did you guys know that? Something about the blue light, it makes it less addicting. That if we look at our phone in grayscale, I've not tried it yet. My odds are we're all going to hate it because we're not used to it. Um, but it makes it less addicting. And then by parent your phone, it's one of those things of like, what, here's this app, 75% of people sleep next to their phones and 90% of us check our phones immediately upon waking. So. We might experiment with using an alarm clock instead of our actual phone, you know, like parent your phone, put it somewhere else. What is craziness? But keep your phone off until after a certain morning ritual that you do, until after your morning quiet time, until after a a time of prayer. Don't check email and news and social media the very first thing before you get out of bed. Have breakfast. Have a cup of coffee with your spouse. Have a conversation. Spend some time in prayer. He says this let prayer set your emotional equilibrium and scripture set your view of the world. Bring your day in the spirit of God's presence and truth of his scriptures first before you turn on everything else. I put mine on do not disturb at night. That helps a lot, right? Do not disturb. And then maybe you can also, I have a friend who does this at nine o'clock, everything on her phone powers down and she doesn't look at anything else after 9pm so that she can begin a nightly ritual of powering herself down and actually having some good sleep. Uh, Oops. I don't know what those other ones were. Can you go back for me, Brenda, one more? Did I push it too many times? There you go, set timers for email, set a time. Oh, you did it, okay. So those are all kind of together in terms of parent your phone and set some of this time um, for when you're gonna do some of these things. Limit TV time. He actually says, kill your TV, like get rid of it altogether. I had a professor in seminary that says, if you wanna develop a scriptural imagination, he taught my New Testament class, you need to get rid of your TV today. And I thought, well, I'm just gonna fail this class. Yeah. So I'm not going to suggest that. But I may suggest limiting it. Or maybe keep track this week of like how much TV you're actually watching. We know, I know we all feel like we're in such a hurry and we don't have time to add anything else, but when you start tracking how much time you actually are spending on certain things, it's amazing how much that we can sort of gain back in that sense. Limiting your TV time. As I say on a Sunday when I know we're all, you're all going to go home and watch football during the week. Maybe track that. What we give our attention to is the person we become. And if our time is the life that we have, our attention, he says, is the doorway to our hearts. So let's, let's take a look at some of this, how we spend our time. Single task. There's actually a myth that we're not able to multitask because you can't keep track of multiple things all at once. We try and then we fail at more than one thing at a time. Walter Brueggemann says this multitasking is the drive to be more than we are, to control more than we do, to extend our power and our effectiveness. Such practice yields a divided self with full attention given to nothing. It's a good word for me. I want to be present in the moment. And here's something else he warns, that if we think that we can like multitask and we're doing all these other things and then like, be present on the ones that matter, like, okay, yesterday I spent a full day with my kids at Huber's, right? It's like if I'm not practicing some of these things throughout the day to slow my body down and slow my soul down, I'm not gonna be able to just turn it off and be fully present. I'm gonna feel like I need to be itching for my phone or checking something or checking an email, even when I'm there at Huber's with my kids, right? That's what we want to be fully present to the moments that matter to God, to other people, to our work in the world and announcing the kingdom of God. That's more than enough to consume our attention. This is for Matt. Walk slower. <laughs> in, t- in 10 years of marriage, I have slowed this man down so much in our walking simply because his legs are twice as long as mine. And I would have to be like running to keep up with him. Yeah. Walk slower. Take in your surroundings and take some deep breath. Take up journaling. This is a way that we can slow our bodies down to slow our souls down. I know some of you have already been doing this as a Sabbath practice once a week. If you can take long vacations, I'm just going to say take vacation. I'm not going to have you raise your hand if you never used your vacation for this year or haven't yet or don't have. Use your vacation that you have You might not be able to steal away for two or three weeks at a time to really, truly rest. We can't do that. Many of us can't. But use your vacation that you do have to actually slow down long enough to rest. And my last one is a a favorite. Cook your own food and eat it. Cook your own food and eat it. Yeah, just ideas. They may not all be for you. Make your own list. Again, this isn't a legalistic list. It's something different practices to be mindful of that we can begin slowing ourselves down and practicing patience so that we can make space in our lives for God and others to show up and proclaim his glory. And maybe for house groups that are out there, maybe consider applying these to your group. Like when you meet for your house group time, everybody put your phones away or power them off or put them in a basket. Share a meal together with your house group potluck. Many of you already do that. Where you can have some of that table fellowship. Pray together. Any among, any, if anyone among you is suffering, pray for them. If anyone among you is joyful, rejoice with them. Slow yourself down and enjoy that pocket of rest and the rhythm of your week as these house groups meet weekly. These are hard things to do on our own, but we can practice them together. There's a rhythm here of Sunday worship. There's a rhythm of different studies that you might be a part of throughout the year here. There's a rhythm of youth group every Sunday night. There's a rhythm of house group. Adopt some of these in your time together that you guys can breathe in and breathe out and experience some rest. Amen? Got some homework? Some more homework to do? He goes into this even more in his workbook that goes along with the book, and I've used pieces of that for the resource that's on the website this week. So take a look. I would love to hear from you of some of the practices that you might come up with for how you can slow your body down this week, this deliberate pace that we can be more mindful to the presence of God and others around us. Let's pray. Almighty God, we give you thanks for who you are and for the ways that you are at work among us. Would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to receive the work that you are doing? Would you slow us down a bit so that we don't miss this beautiful world that you have created, so that we don't miss the gift of relationships and church community that you have blessed us with, so that we don't miss the needs of the person standing in front of us and the ways that we can extend your love and grace? Could you help us take a deep breath this week, God, and follow a deliberate pace that we see Christ model for us so that we can find peace and joy and fullness in your presence and in your presence alone. We love you, Lord, and we pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.